You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning, beloved. How was everybody's week? You ever, uh, you ever gave much thought to your fingernail? Um, I never did e- either till about 10 years ago, or it was actually 20 years ago now. I was farming potatoes in western Nebraska, and we used to ship a million hundred weights of potatoes to uh, Frito-Lay to make potato chips out of. So if you ate potato chips any time between like 1998 and 2000, you probably ate some potato chips that I grew. I hope you didn't get sick. Um, but we were shipping one day, and we had what we call a telescoping conveyor belt. So it would, we would move almost 40,000 pounds of potatoes in about 20 minutes. Um, and the, they telescope in, they telescope out, so we could move them around. And we were pulling them out, and we were trying to get it out to, to load, and it was noisy, and uh, I wasn't ready for somebody to pull yet, but they pulled, and my hand was on a... A bar, there's two bars kind of like this close together and my hand was on one and when they pulled the other one out it came between my two fingers I had gloves on and I thought I lost my little finger uh, but I took the glove off and it was actually a surprise because all it was doing is my fingernail was hanging on just by a little bit and uh, went to the doctor and goes you're lucky I can just push it back in and it'll grow right off I go I didn't know that could happen Uh, But I started thinking a lot about fingernails back then, and there's relevance (coughs) to this introduction. I'll get to it here in a little bit. Uh, It's not just an abstract story. But as we go through uh, these verses, we're transitioning a little bit here. Uh, We're going to do something that's always kind of interesting when you're doing exegetical preaching. We're actually going to finish one paragraph and kind of start a new paragraph, which is always a bit odd. But we want to trend. But the... Holy Spirit does something very interesting through Paul. He talks um, corporately, and we'll see that here in a little bit. Then all of a sudden he goes individually. And it leads into how we utilize our gifts and what that means to the body of Christ. And so I'm going to use this really as kind of a finishing up of one thought in Paul and an introduction of a couple of sermons that uh, Bill will be giving on on the use of our gifts. I'm going to read... uh, one through seven, again, just interject some thoughts here, and then we'll begin to unpack it. Again, Paul says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of calling which you have been called. Uh, Bill did a really beautiful job last week unpacking that. Then he goes on with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent. The word diligent in the Greek there means Haste, urgency, crisis. So he's saying be diligent, have urgency. Uh, Karl Barth says this. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Karl Barth says it's your initiative to do it and do it now. So he says be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit In the bond of peace, literally, peace is the bond in which our unity is kept. That's an amazing truth. The unity of the church is kept 
when the church is at peace with each other. If you're a church historian, you'll recognize that when the church is not with the peace of each other, there's no unity in the body of Christ. And I gotta believe that hurts our Lord. Then he does something really interesting, we'll unpack, and we're gonna unpack four, five, six, and seven. We're going to some scripture, four, five, six, and seven is scripture is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity. He does something very interesting here. He uses the word one, and it's the Greek word for a numeric, so the number one. Uh, he uses the Greek word one seven times in, in these few verses. Three of them allude to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the texts that, we've been, that the church has developed the doctrine of the Trinity out of. The Trinity is not literally ever mentioned anywhere in Scripture. God, in his sovereign intelligence, decided that I'm not going to inspire any of my writers to say, I am three in one, and this is how it works, and it's organized like this. He just alludes to it because it's natural to him. We have to sometimes realize and rest on that the Holy Trinity has never not existed. It has been in imperfect unity forever. Simply who they are. And so if you're God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you're going, but this is just who we are. And so in Scripture, he inspires it that way and allows us to see it as it actually acts instead of drawing it out. And we see a beautiful place here. As, as, as he builds on this walk in a manner worthy of your calling and, and do it in gentleness and with patience and showing tolerance to one another, he comes to this beautiful little section of these three ones. And so there's three ones that talk about the Trinity. The other four ones are our experience, our experience in relation to the Holy Trinity. So what I'm going to unpack is there's three ones that talk about the Holy Trinity. The other four ones is how we as a body of Christ, get to experience the Holy Trinity. And I'm going to do this in what I call three truths or three affirmations. The first one we see in, at the right at the beginning of verse 4 says, there is one body and one spirit. And if we go back to three, what Paul is really saying, this one body and one spirit, all Jews and all Gentiles now are in one body because of the finished work on the cross. All nations, we were talking about that in, in Isaiah uh, this morning, all nations are one in Christ now if you're a believer. And that is upheld and cre created by the Holy Spirit. One body, one spirit, Jews and Gentiles, unity is due to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is our common possession of the one Holy Spirit that creates us into one body. That's the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity, is to uphold the body in unity. Every one of us that believes upon Christ indwells with the Holy Spirit. It's he that allows me to be at peace and to love. We'll look at that here in a little bit. And to be patient with my brothers and sisters in Christ. The third, second affirmation, there's one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We have one hope based in Christ alone. We have one faith. That faith is common, is a common body of knowledge that we believe upon. 
And that one faith is centered on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says what? From before the foundations of the world, God chose us in Christ Jesus. That's the foundational faith. Our hope becomes God's plan through his son for my redemption. My one hope is Jesus' finished work on the cross that God planned before the foundation of the world. My one baptism is into the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection that was planned before the foundations of the world. What we come out of as we look at these ones are really the doctrines that the church needs to stand on. There can't be other ones. There's not another hope other than Christ. There's not another faith other than Christ. There's not another baptism other into Christ. There's not another Holy Spirit that indwells in me or any other thing. There's not karma. There's not inner peace. There's none of that. Hope comes from one place. The body of believers that Christ looks at, comes, God looks at, it comes from one place, and it's through the Holy Spirit and the finished word Christ. Then he goes on in verse 6. And the third affirmation, excuse me, is one Christian family that embraces the Father of all things. So we look at verse 6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. And I added in you all. I didn't add in you all. The King James Version says in you all. If you look at the ESV, it probably says in all. Uh, NASB says in all. I actually think the King James gets it right here. And I'll, I'll explain what I'm saying here. We have one Holy Spirit that his indwelling puts us into the body. My faith rests on my hope and my baptism into Christ. And God the Father upholds all that and all things, not just universally or what we would call cosmic in that he upholds all the universe. He does that, but he also upholds us individually in our faith in Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Father. Uh, Paul in verses 13, excuse me, in Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 and 15 says that God is a father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. That's part of the, that's part of the um, God and father of all who is over all and through all. Then we get to this transition period between verses 6 and verses 7 where he goes from this corporate covering all things to an individual. And that's where, if you look at how people have interpreted this verse and they put, the King James will say, uh, in one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all is the way they've looked at the Greek and translated it to be, to convert to verse seven. You gotta have some type of transition there. Because we go from corporate, right? One body of Christ, one body indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and now we're amazingly going to go to individuals. And that is being upheld by God the Father also. Everybody get that? Do you want to go through it again? It's one of those kind of unique little nuances that the Holy Spirit makes us look at sometime and have to really understand how the Greek is transitioning to the English. And sometimes English translations don't just get it right. So God and the Father upholds all this universe. God and the Father upholds all the families, both in heaven and on earth, all things. 
And then, he's, then he transitions to this, but oh yes, I create all things, and all this is corporate. This unity is corporate. You as believers need to get, get along with each other, and I've given you the Holy Spirit to do that. And then he's going to go, but through Jesus Christ, I've given you individual gifts. Not corporate gifts, individual gifts. So, a few thoughts that I had on this, just to sum it up really quick. We have one Father that creates one family. We have one Lord Jesus Christ that creates one faith, one hope, and one baptism. And we have one Holy Spirit that creates one body, and that's the role of the Trinity. And you can see their distinct roles. If I had more time, I'd sit there and just unpack the doctrine of the Trinity. But that wasn't uh, the charge that I was given. So if you want to do that someday, we'll sit down and we'll unpack the Trinity. But you notice there are distinct roles. Jesus doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't do what Jesus does. God the Father doesn't do what God the Son does. And we're going to, the unity that they display in that is a perfect unity that should be observed in the body of Christ. Why? Because it's given to us all in all through the Father. The only reason the body of Christ isn't unified is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's us not understanding it. Then he does this really interesting thing in verse 7. Right? So we have this complete corporate unity. And then verse 7 says, but there's a change. So what the word but signifies. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what the Holy what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do is amazing. He says, the Trinity will give you all your hope, all your faith, all your baptisms. It'll focus you into what is important to look at. It's corporate. But holding up this corporate structure depends on each one of you as an individual. Doing and treasuring and glorifying God in the gifts that he's given you. The Old Testament writers over and over and over again looked with great expectations to what we're sitting here living in. They said over and over and over again. At the end of chapter 11 in Hebrews, that great, great chapter of the faith, it ends with all these uh, simply look forward to what you have the privilege of living. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The ability to take the communicable, what we call the communicable attributes of God. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are God's attributes that through the Holy Spirit, he says, Tim, they're yours. Go live them. Jose, they're yours. I'll give them to you. Part of your faith is that they, those indwell in you because my Holy Spirit indwells in you. And he says, through these gifts is what will uphold the unity of the body of Christ. It ought to make us all shiver. I shiver every time I think about it. We're going to teach membership class next Saturday. I'm going to, I spend about probably 20% on it on Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. 
simply because that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. So, unity in Christ enriches or secures the diversity, the diversity of the gifts that Christ gives us and secures the unity of the body of Christ. You see this in two ways. These gifts are given by Christ. They have one purpose. Verse 7 has one purpose. It goes back to verse 4 and 5. The oneness is upheld by the gifts that we give. But more importantly, I want to go to verses 12 through 13 of Ephesians. So I'm going to jump forward a little bit. But these gifts, and we're going to unpack them more in the coming weeks, these gifts have one single purpose, and we're going to read through it. Starting verse 12. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. These are the gifts that are referred to in verse 7 that Christ gives individually. Verse 12, here's why he gives them. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to, here's one of the purposes, to the building up of the body of Christ. Those spiritual gifts that God has given everybody in here, one purpose is to uphold the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and with the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Our spiritual gifts are to help bring us to maturity and to unity. Verse 14, as a result, if we were all to live this way, use our spiritual gifts, unity, get what he says, as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here, and, <clears throat> excuse me, tossed here and there by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftness and deceitful schemings. Why are each one of you gifted? To make sure we're all sound in our doctrine. To help us all grow to maturity. So we're not thrown back and forth by bad doctrine. Again, if you're a church historian, you can, you can almost look at when the church is living within the truth of these Bibles and really treasuring the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're solid in our doctrine and nobody, nobody uh, leads people astray. When, it's, when, when pride comes in, when we're not using our gifts to treasure God and glorify him, we see all kinds of doctrines just going amok. And the church isn't unified. I was talking to my sister yesterday. And um, she lives in a geographically gorgeous part of the world, but in a spiritual death trap. Every church in her little town, uh, you can trace back the legacy of every church in that town to the number of times it split over not being unified. That's a shame. Absolute shame. And it's not that big of a town. I mean, I, I would imagine we'd find that in big metropolises, but in a town of about maybe 15,000. She sat there with me yesterday and walked through what she has seen there. Uh, and in one 
one church, I think I counted seven splits. Why? If you're not sound in your doctrine, if you're not unified, guess what happens? Man takes over instead of glorifying God. If we're not also in love and so much treasuring of Christ and understanding that the gift he's given us, somebody in this church needs the gift that God has put, the, the grace gift that God has put on each one of you. That's why he's given it to you. There's somebody in this church that each one of us, God has designed to use your gift to help that person out. That's unity. So what I want to do, I don't normally do this, but I just think it's the right place to go. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I talked about a, talked about a fingernail, so I got to make it uh, relevant. Um, it's not the reason we're going there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So after I lost my fingernail about 20 years ago, I actually just studied because I'm a scientist why in the world do I need a fingernail, right? Why did, why did God give us a fingernail? Um, and he did, it, there's a couple reasons that are quite interesting when you look at the physiology of a fingernail. The fingernail strengthens the finger. You realize there's more blood vessels going in that fingernail, and it's the fingernail that allows me to grasp this and hold on to it and have duration and durability. It's not my finger, it's the fingernail. It strengthens it, it pumps blood to it, it gives me strength and durability. It protects the finger. Now, it doesn't protect the finger from doing dumb things like putting your hand between two bars on a telescoping uh, 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 conveyor belt. But what I thought was amazing, when I took it off, I'm say, I, first thing I asked the doctor, I said, what's it going to be like not to have a fingernail on her. And he looked at me and goes, I can put that fingernail right back in. I can push it back in. He put one little stitch to tie it on there. And this fingernail now grows faster than all my other ones and it's thicker. Man, it's crazy. But he said, yeah, you didn't tear the root out. It's perfectly fine. You're going to be perfectly fine. I thought that was amazing. Your fingernail, think about this, your fingernail increases the utilization of the job that the finger's created for. You ever thought about that? Think about how often, you probably don't even think about it because it's so natural to it, how often do we use our fingernail for something? So years ago when I used to check cotton, if you don't know how cotton grows, it gets little flowers and then the flowers bloom and they turn into bowl and the bowl is where the length comes from. And one of the things you had to do was open the cotton bowl up to see if there's insects in it and count uh, for about four different types of insects. And I always let this fingernail on my thumb grow longer so I wouldn't have to pull out a pocket knife. So I could go along with this long fingernail, and I could go up to the little, the little stem that holds the fruit on, and I could pinch it between my finger and the flower, and it cut it right off. It kept me from every time. And I used to, there was days that I would look at 100, 200, 300 fruiting branches on a, on a plant. And that thing became very useful, right? It's not safe to walk around a cotton field with a pocket knife with the blade out. And it was, really became a hindrance to go in there and cut it off every time I want to do it. So it became very handy. Um, and when I studied it, the fingernail increases the utilization or job of the finger. So is everybody in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I'm going to read a long passage, okay? 
For just as a body is one, and I'm starting in verse 12, and many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For we are one in spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, Before I'm not a, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So go back to the fingernail. If God has created you and gave you the gifting that we'll talk about in the coming weeks to do nothing more to be a fingernail in the body of Christ that glorifies him and treasures his son. And either we don't disciple you in that or you simply don't do anything with it. Do you not know that now you're affecting the strength of the finger? And if I'm affecting the strength of the finger, I'm I'm affecting the hand. And if I'm affecting the hand, I'm affecting the arm. If I'm affecting the arm, I'm affecting the rest of the body. If we treasure Christ so much and he says, oh, dear Tim, I'm just going to make your fingernail in the body of Christ. Then I'm going to thank you, God. Let me glorify you as the best fingernail that I can be. Let me understand my role within the body of Christ. Nobody in here is the head. That's been one of the biggest things in the disunity. The church is a lot of godly or ungodly men decided that they want to be the head And the scripture is very clear on that. The only head of the church is Jesus. All right? And then when you actually understand your gift and you put it to practice simply because you treasure Christ, then you'll rest better at night. Those four or two or one or a hundred people God asks you to interact with as a fingernail, they'll grow in Christ and they'll realize that because of this fingernail, I can now be a better foot. Because if this fingernail is not doing its job and it's holding something, something doesn't get dropped on the foot. Right? As you go through membership class, like I said, we spend a lot of time on this because we just learned that it's one spirit, one body. One Jesus is my one hope, my one faith, and my one baptism. And it's one God and Father of all that is in all his creation and that through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit is in me. And I love the beautiful transition of corporate to individual. I love the Holy Spirit saying that the, the think of the body of Christ as a body and every member is important. And every member, this chapter 12 is a context of, of your gifts and utilizing your gifts. We're going to 
Ephesians chapter, the rest of Ephesians chapter four is basically about your spiritual gifts and using your spiritual gifts. I think it's sometimes our ease of where we've grown up and sometimes our synchristic view of society and church where we put Christianity and our world together and we say that, but, uh, but I'm just not important if I'm a fingernail and I'd rather be a foot. When the creator of the universe that has, that has always, always, always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect love and perfect unity said, but oh, Tim, we want you to be a fingernail. That's what we've created you for. What a better role. I'd be perfectly happy being a hair follicle for Jesus Christ, knowing that it comes from Jesus Christ. I want to read one other thing. I'm going to interject a few things into it. One of the texts we have taken out of context, not that we've used it wrong, we've just taken it out of context, is chapter 13 of, um, of 1 Corinthians. And in my Bible, I actually scratched chapter 13 on. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible chapter break. So I'm going to start in verse 27, and then I'm just going to kind of Lightly unpack 13 as we go along. And before I get to 13, I'll stop it. So everybody follow along. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. I want all of us to read it, and every time you see something like a you, interject your name. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, and all the apostles, excuse me, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul had to write this because the Corinthians ranked gifts. The Corinthians would say, yeah, the tip of the finger is better than the fingernail, or the fingernail is better than the tip. Ah, but you're just a fingernail, I'm a hand. And then the other guy would say, yeah, but you're just a hand and I'm a shoulder. They would rank their gifts. And, and really what Jesus is doing in this, when he asks these rhetorical questions, are all you apostles? Are all you prophets? Are all you teachers? Do all have miracles? Do all possess a gift of healing? Do all speak tongues? The answer to every one of those is no. Understand what the gifts God's given you. And do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says one of the most amazing Holy Spirit-inspired texts in all the Bible. He says, and I will show you a more excellent way. And then we go to chapter 13. And we've called chapter 13 the love chapter. And I've heard a lot, a, lot, a lot of weddings, and it's, a, it's good for weddings, but it's totally out of context. This is not the way I should love my wife this way. Definitely should. But that is not the point of the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul here. You've heard me say this before. A text without a context is a pretext to a proof text. And you fail proof texting this to say if it's primarily 
a wedding text because it's not. The love of 13 is how I'm to love Ron. It's how Ron is to love me. It's how I'm to love Bill as a fellow elder and how Bill is to love me. It's the love of the body of Christ. I'm going to read it. I'm going to take a little bit of freedom here and where it says I, I'm going to interject my team, my name. If Tim speaks in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, Tim is a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I ever, ever get up here and preach and you don't think that I don't love you with everything I can love you that morning, I expect you to come tell me. And not only that, you have the biblical right to. And if I, pro- if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, if I become a martyr for Christ for the wrong reasons, not because of love, Paul says, I gain nothing. Love is patient to the body of Christ. Love is kind within the body of Christ. Love does not envy or boast within the body of Christ. It is not arrogant or rude within the body of Christ. It does not resist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. In the body of Christ, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Whoa, if the church would live that one. If the church would live live that one. We tend not to love when we see another brother do something wrong. Kind of, he, God gives us this patience that is his in the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes when he says, I'm going to let you be wronged by a brother to just see how well you understand godly patience. God's been wrong since he created Adam and Eve. Go read chapter two and three of Revelation. The last apostle wasn't even gone yet. And Jesus was correcting the church. If we would just live within the fruits of the spirits. Where was I? Uh, Not error, thank you. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things within the body of Christ. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesize in part, but when the perfect comes, that's Christ. Verse 10, when Paul says when the perfect comes, he's referring to Jesus. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, but the greatest of these is love. The one thing I pray that you take home today is a full understanding of chapter 13. Husbands, yes, love your wives within those truths. 
I can break out other scripture and build upon what he said here to the husbands, to their wives. Wives, love your husbands with this type of love. I can stand on other scriptures to teach that. It's not really hard. But this text is how the body of Christ is to love each other and hold each other up. Why, honestly, we have to, we have to look at the body of Christ intently sometimes. Why is there disunity in the body of Christ? I have cried for this for years simply because we have a hard time living in that beautiful truth as a universal corporate body of Christ. And we all have it in us. Go read Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. God in his intimate, sovereign, eternal love said, I'm going to give you three things that are mine, or nine things that are mine. You can see those in Galatians chapter 5. And in those, unity comes to the church. So we're going to start looking for the next few months on spiritual gifts. There's no aptitude test you can do for a spiritual gift. Gone to churches that handed something out and said, you know, fill this out and you'll figure out your spiritual gift is. It's just simply not the way it works. Um, But I can look at a lot of the people I've been discipling and I can, you know how you know what a spiritual gift is? You spend time with people. You get to know people. You cry with people. You pray with people. You live with people. You get mad at each other. And you handle it biblically. And when there's disagreement, sometimes you'll see one has a little more kindness than the other. One maybe has a little more teaching abilities than the other. One maybe has that extra giving grace, gift of grace than the other. And you see their spiritual gift. Maybe one's an encourager. You see their spiritual gift. But you can't do that if you don't immerse yourself in the body of Christ. You can't do that just kind of standing at the outside, looking in. It's not what Christ died for. Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, we come to you in your sovereignty, in your holiness in this moment and um, stand awe that who you are would, uh, would give us the attributes of your love and your patience and your joy and your faithfulness and your kindness. Lord, in the coming weeks, uh, have your Holy Spirit just stir our excitement to, um, to do two things, Father. Number one, um, take the spiritual gift that that we know that you've given us and let us just with all love and honor to you intensely um, ask us ask you to put us in the position to use it with love to those of us who lord that still struggle trying to understand what our spiritual gift is we ask that uh, in the coming weeks in this teaching you just open that up clearly to us it could be in conversations um, during the week with others. It could be 
just hearing the word preached, but let us look with great excitement um, that your unity is upheld um, in the truths of the Holy Spirit, of our Savior and you, of our triune God, that they're secured individually through these amazing gifts that Christ provides for us and that the Holy Spirit administers. So Lord, let's give us great excitement in this time. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of your Son in all things.